So, Riley, I did you know that you were operating a restaurant in Glasgow? You know, I have many, I have many diverse business interests uh, up and down the country. Um, so I'm sure none of the uh, menu items will come as a surprise to me. I was going to order food, and um, this this small plates restaurant mm. showed up, and I looked at the menu and was like, "This is the most Riley selection of food, and especially wine I've heard in my mm. life." So the menu, the menu begins with a wine selection, uh, which begins with a twenty five pound. Blau Frankish from Burgenland. Yeah, okay. And the description of this says that yeah, it shows bright minerality and great texture through the layers of juicy plum, black raspberry, and savory herbs. Yeah, well, that's typical for a Blau Frankish. <laughs> Describe to me an non savory <laughs> herb. The, uh, scrolling through like two pages of wine list here, I then find that you could get, for instance, uh, oysters with a shallot mignonette. Uh -huh. mm. Uh, yeah, have minion. you ever had oysters delivered? It's always weird. Leeks cooked over embers in a romesco sauce, leek oil, and chardonnay vinaigrette with smoked almonds. What they do is they deliver the shells and they deliver the oysters out of the shells in a little saltwater bath. And you have to then replace the oyster in the shell <laughs> and then top it with uh, your mignonette. Salt baked celeriac warmed over hot coals with miso, nashi pear, and hazelnuts. Okay, so what do you get? I getting? mean, I'm 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 thinking I'm just gonna fucking order a burger like a normal person rather yeah. than ordering from this restaurant that you have apparently set up in secret without telling us in my home. Riley just wants to get bottled in Glasgow. <laughs> just want to get bottled with a bottle of Palomino Blanco from Galicia. <laughs> throwing throwing a 1972 Pinot Noir across the room and going, right, nobody <laughs> leaves until we find out what cunt did it. <laughs> <laughs> this poor lassie's been hit by boiling salt water full of oysters. <laughs> no one's going anywhere. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to this episode of Trash Future Free Edition, the free one. It's the free uh, one. We've got to stop doing this. <laughs> yeah, we're going to uh, we are going to put off our uh, guests and listeners if we keep on doing a uh, morning zoo crew voice, but it is too fun. Um, no, it mm. is it is TF. It is back again. Uh, it is myself, Riley. I am joined by Milo, Hussein, and Alice. How is it going to my co-hosts? Yeah. It's going well. I'm I'm just I'm I'm still struck by this this awful restaurant that you appear to have. Just, either that, <laughs> or there's someone else with your tastes just circulating up here, and that's scary. Mm. There's one Riley in every city. That's the law. <laughs> no, I, th th there's the. I like the idea that there's like a, a dark mirror of you. There's a, a sort of a Wario <laughs> to your Mario. It's just up here. So opening, what, like, opening sort of small plates restaurants. <laughs> I mean, uh, the concept of a takeaway small plates restaurant is just so fucking. Well, I mean, abject. everything's a takeaway. Now, so I'm, I, I'm coming in so many Tupperwares. <laughs> No, no, I got one. I got like a takeaway, like multi-course, like really nice Valentine's Day menu for me mm. and my girlfriend. And there were so many Tupperwares. There were instructions about when to temper things and fire things. It was like I was working in a kitchen again. <laughs> yeah, it, sound, it sounds like a lot of work getting <laughs> that kind of a takeaway. Anyway, but uh, we are also very pleased to be joined uh, by Leslie Kern, the author of Feminist City, Claiming Space in a Man-Made World. And we are going to talk about some of the um, things that have been going on with uh, policing and, um, you might say, uh, the more uh, violent, that is to say, uh, the entire uh, element of policing uh, up and down uh, the city and indeed in other countries. Yeah, it's been a, been, a, been a weird couple of weeks. Leslie, how is it going? It's going well. Thank you for having me. Um, so, look, I, um, I think let's... Uh, we have a, a few things we want to talk about. Uh, first, um, did you know uh, that uh, Keir Starmer, leader of the Labour Party, has released his uh, dream dinner party guests as part of the uh, Telegraph article behind <laughs> the paywall? Dream rotation. <laughs> yeah. where, awesome. he's, where he... How um, the first one was Muammar Gaddafi? <laughs> Joseph Kony. 
Yeah. <laughs> General but naked. Yeah, absolutely. Just um <laughs> Yeah. Keir Starmer's dream blunt rotation is uh literally anyone takes the blunt and is then arrested. Oh. Colonel Gaddafi just being furious that he's outranked by a naked man. <laughs> no, this um, man who re- you're telling me this man who refuses to wear clothes is a more trusted military commander. No, than I me. think I mean like I don't know what it is, uh, but I imagine that like if he's gonna please his kind of base, which is uh, which are like Britpop dads, but it must be like Richard Ashcroft. Mm. Uh, For a second, whoa. I thought you were still talking about yeah. Gaddafi, and I just imagined a, ba- a Gaddafi base of Britpop dads. So, what, who, who, Gaddafi who, being photographed with the Gallagher brothers to throw a bit of red meat to the base. Uh, who, who he has, who he has actually said, is um, some just absolute uh, pillars of you might say um, carceral liberalism, uh, such as hmm. uh, Barack Obama. And uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, so awesome. Well, that first of all, that's cheating because she's fucking dead. <laughs> like, in, mm. unless you're going to have a cadaver dinner party, that's a little bit like we're eating Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we know what she's doing here. A former yeah. Supreme Court justice. Because, <laughs> Can I just say that... something about Keir Starmer and optics for a second? Because, because this is like I understand why he's chosen the Obama thing for the same reason that like. He should have chosen Richard Ashcroft, which is that this is a figure that kind of largely appeals to the only audience that are willing to sort of like half-heartedly defend him. Um, and like Obama is the figure of like imagined good liberalism, etc. However, my thinking is that Keir Starmer has a really bad understanding of his own optics. So that kind of ranges from like whoever's taking his photos, like photographing him in like these really horrible positions and really bad lighting etc but i imagine that if he was like to be pictured with barack obama like just how like fucking lame he would look and like it just wouldn't work the way that i think that he imagined it in his own head which is why like if you are going to think about who you who your like best dinner party is with to be photographed like you should kind of look for someone at least at your level or like a little bit lower right i think like someone yeah Mm. Yeah. yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> Even Ed Miliband yeah. would make Starmer look uncool. Now, I, I welcome what Mr. Obama has said, and I would like to add that, in fact, I do like it, and I will be keeping it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, before we move on uh, much further, uh, uh, I want to sort of turn to our guest and ask, what do you think of the idea of these um, politicians trying to appeal to some imaginary middle road voter with a an inoffensive fantasy dinner party <laughs> that seems to be conjured up by the Telegraph? Well, it just seems guaranteed to open them to ridicule, to, you know, spawn a million memes that go in exactly the opposite direction that they intended them to go and to, you know, alienate those who might actually be progressive enough to, like, push them to do something actually good and interesting. So, I mean, uh, to that end, he's also said he wants to hang have a uh, footballer Thierry Henry, Thierry Henry. Uh, a goal scorer for Arsenal. Thierry Henry. Thierry Henry. <laughs> I don't watch. I don't watch. I, I don't watch I your didn't games. Even pick up on this that. This MF said so... Thierry Henry. <laughs> My mind just glided <laughs> over that after, one. After, how did you go, Keely Hazel, but Thierry Henry? <laughs> well, only <laughs> one of them is your French, mind is fascinating. <laughs> so we also have Nelson <laughs> Mandela. Um, uh-huh. Jacinda Ardern, and also his wife Victoria, um, Aww, which uh, is the wife like, guy. Like, what what on earth? I, again, I don't know why he keeps. Yeah, because someone's got to do the cooking. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like the answer here is just one of Donald Trump's best owns on Twitter, which was when Elizabeth Warren <laughs> released his uh, her apology video for pretending to be Native American, and she said to her husband, who was also in this video. Thank you for being here with me. And Donald Trump tweeted, It's in their house. He's supposed to be there. Exactly the same vibe. Like, what dinner party are you having that your wife isn't there at? It's in your house. It's an eyes wide shut <laughs> dinner party. Yeah, that's right. Uh, okay. Keir, Keir Starmer is, well, Keir Starmer is trying to get um, a moderate Tories over to his side by hosting key parties, which they all seem to enjoy <laughs> and on the right in Britain. Because, oh boy, hmm. do we ever love them. But he's not invited anyone British. That's not very Keir Starmer. He's supposed right. to be appealing to... Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, well, you know well, what? Presumably his wife. 
Yeah. Oh. It, British liberals love you simping yeah. Americans. Actually, yeah. like there are yeah. many like Brit- there are many like eminent British female lawyers who are like as impressive as Ruth Bader Ginsburg, if, who he could have said, was, but he didn't because have, he doesn't have the have brand. A female Supreme Court justice of our Supreme Court. Yeah, and, like, like uh, Lady Hale or someone. Di- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or <laughs> instead of that, we could if, do if, a. If dead I was American if I was a Labour advisor, I would kind of say that he should make up characters that go to the pub and invite them over, like guys like. Dodge, like Dodgy Dave, or like, mm. um, or like Gaz the Plumber, um, just like, just like these fake, yeah, <laughs> Dave Courtney. <laughs> I, I, I welcome Mr. Courtney's stance on highly illegal activities, and I think that we would have a very interesting conversation in the hot tub at the dinner party. I mean, to be honest, Dave Courtney the- and Keir Starmer in the hot tub with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> The vibe, the vibe I get from this is just fully for a dollar. <laughs> name a woman, yeah. Like yeah. Na- name any woman. Uh, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Are you suggesting that there might be some kind of casual <laughs> misogyny yeah, in politics? The two women Keir Starmer can name at a first instance are Ruth Bader Ginsburg <laughs> first, and his wife second. He says Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and they're like, "No, someone alive." He's like, uh, well, "I know this one, my wife." <laughs> I mean, um, my that's wife. Pretty- <laughs> uh, Leslie, I mean, does this surprise you at all to see this sort of, you know, um, that Keir Starmer can think of precisely three women, none of whom are British? Well, where is his binder full of women? Didn't he learn this from Mitt Romney several years ago? You got to keep a binder. You got to have a binder. Oh, that's a blast from the past. Mm-hmm. He has, yeah. he, his, binder, his binder of women is outdated. He needs to put it to Google Drive. Anyway. Um, that is a little bit on uh, our uh, feckless leader, uh, Mr. Starmer. Yeah, um, the thing that we said we were never going to talk about, we have once again talked about well, it. This, isn't, this is no longer even about the Labour Party. This is about a guy who was forced to be in the public eye because the politics of this country are completely <laughs> just dude. ruined. Yeah, this is I don't, I don't agree that I'm man. feckless. I have lots of feck. Yeah, it's, and I'm going to show that this guy has no place in in the public eye in this country, and yet he's forced <laughs> to be zero here. Feck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, another uh, another quick thing uh, to um, bring up as well is uh, Deliveroo, uh, enemy of the show. Deliveroo uh, has received the TF jeers of the week uh, as it has closed oh. its first day of trading uh, as a publicly traded company, down thirty percent from its price target in the uh, single worst debut of a company in London's history as a financial Oops. center. Whoops. <laughs> Turns out that when you, open, when you open on the news that you might have to pay all of your, uh, like, impoverished, immiserated contractors employee wages, that's very bad for your stock position. Yeah, so, um, so a, uh, from uh, us to Will Shoe, suck it. Hmm. Uh, that is right. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, um, indeed. So, it, what has happened is, uh, before the um, before the actual flotation uh, would have been a few days ago now, a couple days ago as of recording, um, like manner, like fund managers, like legal in general, which manages like over a trillion quid in assets, were basically like cited concerns around the gig economy that Uber, uh, that, excuse me, Uber Deliveroo operates in. Um, the same thing with uh, Aberdeen Standard and Aviva. Or and uh, and M and G, all of which were like, we're going to skip this IPO, um, and they said, oh no, we have concerns uh, about uh, workers' rights and so on, etc., etc., etc. But I think, yeah, specifically that you might be giving them too many. Yeah, well, it's that with their, I think their concerns around workers' rights are that they realize that these rights might be enforced. <laughs> yeah, our concerns around workers' rights are that there will be some. <laughs> Look, come on. If you were, if if we could re- reverse that Uber court decision from a while ago, where they like, you know, um, said you had to pay drivers a sort of an amount that was, you know, like that they could live on, we would be all in on this on this IPO. It would be a standard tech IPO. But nope, I'm afraid that um, there's just a, qu- a little bit too much sick pay and vacation pay. We'll skip it. Mm. Um, well, and, and of course, but of course, the all of the fund managers saying. That they think that the gig economy is, of course, unethical, and I think any uh, astute <laughs> listener of this show sure, should yeah. be able to see right past that <laughs> bullshit, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which is uh, very funny. But you know, I mean, w- woke fund manager is a very funny bit. Just like, yeah, I'm only going to invest in in companies that I really believe are treating their employees and their contractors with dignity. <laughs> well, I mean, also, uh, Leslie, as a geographer. Um, does it surprise you at all that the uh, 
let's say, the proliferation of bicycle-based couriers up and down London being paid uh, no money at all was not a sustainable one. (laughs) No, absolutely not. I mean, I'm not crazy enough to try to ride a bicycle in a place like London, but it seems like this is just a recipe for disaster on so many fronts. It's like a health and safety nightmare. It's a workers' rights nightmare. It's an economic nightmare. And, you know, I think these companies have, they deserve everything that's coming to them in terms of this negative press and uh, blowback for what they're trying to do. Yeah. And um, also, what's also very funny is uh, Deliveroo, managed by uh, such sort of grasping idiots who tried to get so much market share so quickly that um, a food delivery company lost money during the entirety of the pandemic. Didn't make a dime. A food delivery company. (laughs) A food delivery company that doesn't pay its workers. being a not-for-profit. How do you lose money? You don't pay your workers, and the demand for your product (laughs) is huge. How do you manage it? Other than just like we live in some kind of... Listen, I'm going to give you two words. I'm going to give you three words here, Riley. Office cocaine fountain. (laughs) These three words are not necessarily necessarily related to Deliveroo. These are three unrelated words. much like much mm. like Keir Starmer, that it doesn't bear any relation to the to the institution. I'm simply just saying words. <laughs> yeah, Alice is just trying to activate a Manchurian candidate by saying yeah, the words right. "office cocaine fountain." <laughs> Not related yeah. to any company under discussion here. Um, yeah. Right now, one of our listeners is on their way to murder Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Look, better late than never. Like an extremely long delay Manchurian cast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how were the uh, two centuries? Um, so the, the other other sort of things to discuss about uh, the... Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the delivery from Pizza Hut? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so another couple of things to note about the uh, Deliveroo IPO. Um, a lot of, apparently, the reason that like it was shunned was like, it's more than just the workers' rights thing. There's like a strange voting structure with the shares being offered. Um, it, there, there's a bunch of weird stuff, right? Like, I'm not going to say it was all the workers' rights things, but boy, is it funny to watch all of these uh, investment funds and also, indeed, uh, mm. the company itself try to dress itself in very woke language, like, I don't know, four minutes to midnight before the <laughs> thing went live. Um, and also, you know, you know your IPO is going very well. When you um, try to flog stock in your terrible bullshit app to the users of that app rather than accredited investors, that's how you know it's going fan-fucking-tastic. When you're being like, hey, do you want a side of stock in our company with your burger? It's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, um, so I want to sort of move a little bit on to kind of sort of our, our two discussions of our, our, our two core discussions today, which are the British government's desire to completely exonerate itself from any kind of wrongdoing in any any kind of history ever under any circumstances. Because wouldn't yeah, you know past it... Past and present. Yeah, indeed. So um, in terms of past, we're going to be talking a little bit about their um, report on uh, race and institutional racism in Britain, which was surprising considering it was written by um, Spiked Magazine, found that institutional racism wasn't really a problem and that the real problem was that people had a negative attitude because of people talking about institutional racism. And then we're going to talk about how um, the police... Case closed. uh, The the police essentially have given themselves an A-plus in their uh, brutal put-down of uh, protests of a murder uh, that was committed by uh, one of them, allegedly. It's been such a great week for people being allowed to mark their own schoolwork. It's been phenomenal. It has, and it's been a great couple of weeks for the police too, because on the very day that we are recording this, it has now the reporting restrictions have been lifted, and we can now talk about the fact that a serving metropolitan police officer has been convicted of being a Nazi pedophile. Wow! Genuinely, not just one of those things. Both of those things. He and Alice. A- why are you supporting him on Patreon? <laughs> <laughs> Could, would you like to answer that for the class? And, uh, yeah. No, he was. He was. He was a member of uh, National Action, which is a banned far right group. He lied about it. Joined the police. They were like, "Well, right. You say you're not a member of uh, any fascist parties. We're not." Yeah, the gentleman says that, that he has not been in any sort of relational relationship t- t- with take, any far right organisation. Word for that. Um, yeah. And, and then when they found out that he was, they um they searched his computer for Nazi stuff and I also found that a bunch of child pornography. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so yeah, so it's been a great week for the Met. 
So just no, that was bait for the grooming gangs. That wasn't my child pornography. That was um... just so. Just before we get into this, I want to ask uh, Leslie. Like you say, a feminist city is a police-free city. I want to know if you can sort of explain what that means in the context of kind of sort of in the context of what we're talking about of the police sort of continuing to become more and more and more like a fascist street gang. Um, including, for example, uh, having members of national action in them. Yeah, what I mean by that is that uh, a feminist city is one that cares about women's safety. And I don't actually think police forces care about women's safety. And I think that there are endless examples of the ways in which police forces um, act in extremely violent ways towards women or don't take violence against women seriously at all. So for me, a feminist city can't be one that has this kind of what I think is a misogynist occupying force be uh, central to its operations. Well, Leslie, that's, that's a great point. But have you considered what if all of the police were themselves women and we put a bunch of like women's rights stuff on the cars and the like batons and stuff? <laughs> Wouldn't that be good? Well, maybe we could add some pink breast cancer ribbons to it and then it yeah, would just exactly. be completely pink washed. Ah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a huge <laughs> problem if we suddenly think that just, you know, by putting more women in these institutions that they'll change. These institutions haven't become less racist because there's more people of color in them. They haven't become less sexist because there's more women in them. It's much deeper than that. Of course, as, as your other news item shows, there's, uh, it's very easy to deny the institutional aspect of these things when, uh, when you want to. I can't wait to have my head cracked open by the Ruth Bader Ginsburg special edition baton. <laughs> That's what I want. Well, I mean, it's because you have, to, you have to imagine, right? It's so easy to forget that these institutions, whether it's the police or, sort of, or the army or the intelligence services or the, or GCHQ here, the NSA in the States, it's easy to forget that these things have their place in history. It's easy to forget that like they weren't always here. Society functioned without them. It functioned differently. You know, it had different problems. It had different um, things that went well and so on. But I think there is this conditioning that like, to try to ask whether or not these things should exist is branded as fundamentally unrealistic. And in the case of the extremely cynical, um, and again, like completely just functionally and ethically bankrupt institutions of this country, um, on, in terms of both parties and also like just its organs of state, it's actually construed in a sort of um, in a mirror universe bizarro way as mm. um, oh actually oh you you want to get rid of the police but. Uh, women are in women are in danger in cities, and you want to get rid of the police. It's a fem. It's yeah, you must be some kind of misogynist. Police. No, I, yeah. I, 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 I saw I saw a guy genuinely say after the process in Bristol that Avon and Somerset police should abandon the city of Bristol, like this fucking escape from New York, and just like seal it off for six months and not go in and see what happens. And I I, I feel like the answer to that is like nothing or it would be slightly better but yeah, the lionel hut's like rainbow dancing around <laughs> yeah, the circle yeah, yeah, of exactly yeah uh, we're doing an experiment uh, in Avon Somerset Prison. It's a pilot thing. We're calling it Operation Purge. <laughs> um, uh, and so what we've decided to do is to make, uh, as a way to uh, make a point to the woke left, uh, we are, for yourselves, we're going to make murder legal. <laughs> right, but um, so we get like, I'm interested in, 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 your, in your view on this, Leslie, essentially, this idea of this, this cynical repositioning of the, of the police themselves as fundamental to the safety of women when I think much of the uh, evidence that we sort of see shows that they are more likely to be domestic abusers, uh, they are less likely to take women seriously, they are more likely to be um, in, um, you might say, illegal fascist gangs as well as their legal official fascist gangs. Also more, not to jump in on your question here, but also more likely to be abusive towards women who are employed as police mm. officers. That also came out. Uh, just uh, like literally this week was a BBC investigation that like a couple of women reported uh, a serving Met police officer for sexual assault. They were both police officers. Nothing got done because, you know, why would it? So. Yeah, exactly. So this kind of 
bogus argument of, well, what are you going to do about all the rapists? I mean, the response is, what are we doing about them right now? <laughs> like, how many are in jail? How many mm. actual charges for sexual assault get brought compare, compared to the number of reports and compared to the number of unreported crimes, right? How many convictions actually happen for sexual assault? How many convictions actually happen for domestic violence, right? What are the police actually doing to prevent or to prosecute violence against women? And the answer is really very little. So to me, you know, I, I agree, it's a bogus argument. And it's so ironic, because you think this argument for more police, it's like, yes, let's just give more money and more advanced weaponry to a predominantly male uh, institution <laughs> to use as they will. And you think, yeah, that doesn't sound very feminist to me, actually. I mean, to be fair, in the case of domestic violence, in a lot of, in a high proportion of cases, the police are on yes, the scene immediately. Exactly. <laughs> so. exactly. Well, I think took me um, a second. Yeah, that's <laughs> very good. And I think the the other thing, right, is if a lot of the a lot of the responses from sort of maybe pro police uh, outlets, for example, portray the police relationship with women. Is still in a very fundamentally sexist way, which is like, oh, we're here to rescue damsels in distress from sort of predatory yeah, yeah, other yeah. men. W women stay off the streets, you know, yeah. things like yeah. that. Yeah, no, the police will, limits. Yeah, or the police will get you. Um, yeah. and, <laughs> and right, it, but it seems it it's, it seems framed though in this um in this sort of reversion almost to this like again like heroic type that positions women as basically agencyless. And awaiting rescue from bad men by good men, right? Yeah, literally the advice that women would have been given in like the Victorian city to, you know, dress modestly and have a chaperone and travel in groups and don't go out at night and avoid certain areas of the city. If you add carry a cell phone, it's the exact same advice that we're giving in the 21st century, right? So yes, I think there's this, this continual like re-imposition of, of sort of social control over women in the name of protection. Mm. And the woman there was sat near a very risque table. Like, <laughs> um, I think that was, uh, that was a lot of the problem. I mean, if, and, if anything, women are slightly more disarmed now than they were then. Because at least Victorian women used to carry sharpened hat pins with which they could stab at men. <laughs> no, this was genuinely a thing, right? There was there, there were cases of like dudes just fully getting stabbed for trying to grope women. Whereas now, you know, you have keys i guess maybe unless you want to go to like a bunch of martial arts classes and like become bruce lee which is kind of out of most people's reach i suspect it's certainly out of mine then like you know what exactly are your options call the cops. carry a gun if you're in the u.s that's what they want yeah. you to do they want to sell more guns to women so mm. we can protect ourselves mm. you can you can carry yeah, a gun the lady in, gun, a nice pink gun. You can carry a gun in the UK, but it has to be like a two hundred thousand pound Purdy's shotgun. And like the thing is, right? I think it's, it's it's worth. It's, it has to be a flintlock. It's worth talking right about the fact that we we when we talk about this every other time we've talked about the city on this show, we've tend to talk about the city, the the criticism of the smart city, and how the intensification of private surveillance in exchange for like slightly improved garbage pickup by a robot. Um, is hardly a good deal for citizens. Um, oh, you know, and and the, the the consent manufactured for it uh, even is as the the future, right? But we've never really talked about the city as a kind of as, as a social level, right? We've never really talked about it as it is, more as rather as about uh, about it as people are trying to like, especially tech idiots are trying to turn it into something else. Yeah, we've talked and, about the city as a machine rather yeah, than indeed. something that people live in. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's it's worth sort of asking, right? Like, but it, it, I think it, it's worth it. Many of those same questions come up, which is who is the city for? Um, who does it benefit? And how is its material reality, whether that is the positioning of sensors everywhere so that the Google can collect data on how often you shit? Or whatever, or whether that is, um, you know, the building of public transport such that it's to take primarily male workers from a suburb into a job, straight line back and forth, no dependents, uh, and um, where it could be built for something else, right? So, in as much as you criticize how 
the smart city is this vision of the future where the city is for a small subset of mainly men who are tech gods. It's interesting to sort of ask, well, how has that already played out in how the city is designed now? Yeah, you raise a really good example of how transportation networks are set up, how the kind of care labor that keeps the this thing that we call the economy that we have to protect at all costs, the actual like human care labor that keeps us alive to <laughs> participate in that is pretty much ignored or assumed to just happen in private spaces. And yeah, I mean, the city is... I think many people are realizing this in the context of the pandemic when they've been asked to go outside to socialize and realize that the city is not very human. Like there's nowhere to go to the bathroom and there's nowhere to just get some water and there's nowhere to just sit and socialize that our cities have become so kind of locked down, so militarized, so concerned with, you know, some a terrorist threat or um, this need for constant surveillance that the human level experience has been pretty much push to the side. And it's like, if you want that, you have to pay for that by going into your like dining bubble, I guess, now in the pandemic. And and if you want to think then, think back to the police, and this sort of dovetails back again with the sort of with the story of Sarah Everard in the UK, is that the police have existed to sort of to keep the edges of that city very hard, uh, to make mm. sure that you, um, not just that you stay on the pavement, but that you stay on the right bit of the pavement, that you're not talking to anyone or sitting on a bench for too long, uh, that you know, your social bubble is, is of the right size, that if you're a gypsy Romani or traveler, that you're, well, don't exist. Um, and you know, all, all of these enforcement mechanisms, they mean that anyone who is not the person for whom the city was designed, who in this case isn't just a sort of usually male information worker or but um, a male information worker who doesn't leave his house, then those, then you are going to be, you're going to come up against the city's extraordinarily cruel, deeply racist and misogynistic enforcement mechanisms. And, you know, th- this is something that happens to people individually. And it's something that happened to the, Sarah, the, the women then holding a vigil for Sarah Everard after her alleged murder by a police officer. Um, where the uh, decision was taken by police, they were saying, "Well, um, the uh, this vigil is uh, illegitimate because of the COVID rules, and we have to keep everybody safe by breaking up this statement. We have to keep everyone safe by breaking up this statement against our violence." Yeah, no, that, that's like if if you read between the lines in the like exculpatory report, it is fully like a small minority of attendees were extremely abusive to police officers. And uh, no. it, 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 you expect police officers to have a great deal of restraint and forbearance. Uh, however, they're, they're only human, and as such, you know they they have like a a limit of abuse they're expected to take. Not uh, a, a courtesy extended to women being murdered by police officers, it seems. But um, mm. no, apparently uh, at that point, once you once once you do hurt the police's feelings badly enough, it becomes legitimate for them to respond with force. Which, I mean, I, I, I this is the thing, right? I've I, I've th- this has been somewhat radicalizing for me in that I've ceased being surprised. And uh, uh, sort of for a while, I still had the sort of thing of like, don't the Met know how bad this is from a PR perspective, like doing all of these sort of unforced errors? And it's like, no, they know and they like it. And th- this is good. This is like, uh, 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 it's, a, it's a feature, not a bug. It's a vulgar exercise of power uh, designed to send a message and, you know, message received. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think throughout the pandemic, we've really seen the the, you know, numerous states and cities using it as an excuse for the expansion of of police power and and surveillance and even trying to hand that off to citizens like call this tip line if you see your neighbors gathered together in a group of six or more we have that here in Canada too and it's like everybody suddenly becomes like super invested again in the the carceral state in a form of punishment and yes we're we're afraid there's legitimate things to be afraid of but the answer which you know has been put forward too often when it comes to social problems is let's make it a criminal justice problem, right? Oh, it's a public health thing. Well, if we let's make it a criminal justice mm. problem, and that surely that will fix it. In Britain, if we had the COVID tip line, it would go down in the first ten minutes because <laughs> everyone would try and phone in their neighbours at once. Mm. 
Like, oh, we've brought in the NKVD. Great. Allow, allow me to dial them I mean, what's, I mean, what's very funny about like lots of um, people trying to uh, argue against police abolition is like there, if you kind of think about the arguments that they're making, which is very much like, you know, the one bad apple thing, like the, like, the extension of that argument is fundamentally that the only way that you can really fix policing is if, is, is if everyone becomes a police officer. Which I think, like, in Britain, we've spoken mm. about this before, like, but I think there's, like, a mm. big appetite for, like, a lot of people who would, like, be quite chuffed if you gave them, oh, yeah. like, pseudo-police powers. And, like, you, yeah. If, if, you, if you gave these fuckers an armband, they would absolutely be mm. for it. Um, yes, they became a bouncer. <laughs> I mean, pretty much everyone's already a border guard, right? Like, if you're an estate agent, you're a border yeah. guard. Uh, if you're a landlord, you're a border guard. If you now, if you're a bouncer, you're a border guard. So, like, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a pretty small leap, I think, from from there to, uh, mm. you know, you you are now able to do citizens' arrests of your neighbor for not putting out the bins on the right day, <laughs> for for not respecting the bin man. I think it also has to, <laughs> yeah, for it, not, it also it also your fucking poppy. It also yeah. has to do a lot as well with like the roots of policing and the different roots of policing in the UK and the US and elsewhere. Mm. In a lot of other countries, police sort of arose from like colonial enforcement divisions, and that's why they were sort of often paramilitarized. In the US, they evolved from slave catchers. In the UK, they evolved from strike breakers. I mean, this is fundamentally, they have always been keeping order for the extractive wealthy. And that's what makes the next thing I'm about to say sort of such an incoherent concept. Which is that the Met likes to advertise, the Met especially, but sort of um, most other police forces up and down the country, like to advertise themselves as engaging in something called policing by consent. Um, where they say, this is a quote from the police themselves. They say, in the UK, policing by consent is not just an empty catchphrase. Um, it is an essential reality. So, um, if uh, Alice, if you can play a soundboard that sounds when uh, I, if this, uh, you know that this is not an empty catchphrase, that would be very good. <laughs> Among many countries, the UK is unusual. Boy, is that right. The police are not the coercive arm of an oppressive Among authoritarian men. government. Oh, that's good. I'm not hitting the I'm I'm not hitting the drop so far. So far it sounds pretty empty. Uh, the police are not the coercive arm of an oppressive and authoritarian government established and operated to create and maintain public obedience through fear. That's good. They are not Is the this like this is like the start of a Spectator article where they do that paragraph of what they don't think at the start where yeah. they accidentally get everything right, and then they just needlessly continue. <laughs> oh no, we put the word not into all of these things that are just, like, observably yeah. true. Uh, they are not the agents of the executive government at all. They are us, our fellow citizens, citizens in uniform, <laughs> charged with preventing crime and disorder and enforcing the criminal law established under the authority of the parliament. So... All of that stuff we said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have wasted your time inviting you on here, Leslie. <laughs> Apparently, it's not true. It's so good to hear. In fact, I, yeah, I, I'm so glad that I filled out my I consent to be policed form every time I come to the UK. Mm. That's all right. And if you don't fill that out, there's nothing they can do. I, I, you can just yeah, go exactly. on a killing spree. I would yeah. simply vote against the police uh, by by, yeah. by voting for a political party that me that was going to cut policing or reform it or abolish it. Well, uh, where Alice. can I find one of those, Riley? <laughs> oh well, hmm. um, I just could I vote like... for communist Keir Starmer's woko haram left wing loony Labour? <laughs> Would they do um, that? Hmm. Well, so I have sort of everyone's response because, like, the thing is, right? This is not. I think the the thing that's worth focusing on and not losing sight of is that this is that this all started because a police officer, an, a serving police officer, who had serving already been accused, officer, no less. Who had already been, um, been uh, let's say, um, uh, implicated in, I believe, a public flashing, mm -hmm. um, murdered a woman allegedly, right? Uh, and then the public, uh, 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 many women, quite like reasonably, uh, held a vigil in protest of the police violence, and the police decided to do more violence. Um, the political, the politicians of this country sort of had to respond because this is the kind of thing that uh to someone who doesn't who didn't read that thing about policing by consent and mistakenly thinks they are the coercive arm of an oppressive and authoritarian government um mm. that uh this requires some explanation and so the tories response so I, i'll do the tories first and then labor um the tories it's gonna be a spot the difference thing oh yeah i'd like you to spot the difference please uh pre okay. home secretary pretty pretty patel first um 
decried the uh, attacks on female she first officers. Said, That's fucking right, lads. <laughs> well, effectively, yeah. She um she she said that the attacks on female officers by protesters were uh, disgraceful. Oh, now who's the violence against now, women? Yeah, now huh? who's doing a misogyny? Huh? Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, right, yeah. And then, and then said, <laughs> "Have you considered that many of the police officers brutalizing you were themselves women?" And then okay, she I said, say "Many, some. Yeah. Have you considered that some?" <laughs> Look, uh, she said. Then, too many of us have pretended to be on the phone to a friend. Uh, mm-hmm. to scare someone off, she said. Too many of us have clutched our keys in our fist in case we need to defend ourselves, and that is not okay. While then saying, that is why we need to further empower and multiply the numbers of people on the street who will cause uh, women walking alone to need to defend themselves. Yeah, we, we, we need, yeah. We need I, more I, I, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not going to name the guy, That's but right. I, I, I always think back to the guy that we all know who volunteered himself to be, uh, to be, to be like an escort for uh, for women crossing the road on their own. Um, oh, who Christ. himself has a history oh, of, uh, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, let's, let's, I just want to. I want to throw back to you here, right? That the, the government response seems to have just been to ignore the fact that this problem is centered on the police and police cannot be the solution to it. Yeah, in fact, yeah, the only solution they can even imagine is more police. And didn't uh, they suggest something like undercover police going into nightclubs? I mean, that seems Mm -hmm. even more... Just to Mm. make sure everyone has a nice time. (laughs) Exactly. So already the problem is, is that women don't know who to trust or who is who is safe. And so you're going to just create a situation where that's even more confusing for people. And yeah. Personally, I love to go into a nightclub. I love to go into Clapham Infernos and see like five or six guys in super dry Japan tops and very clean trainers with short hair, all asking to where they can buy some cocaine at the same time, but at incredible volume. That makes me feel so safe. A guy in bootcut jeans ordering a lager and lime leans over to you and goes, Oi, mate, got any Charlie? By the way, could you say that into my lapel, please? <laughs> Those are just guys who are enjoying their white boy summer, and I don't think that we should judge them for that. <laughs> <laughs> the white cop summer. Yeah. Uh, indeed. Well, in the UK, it shall be white cop summer, apparently. Uh, so one of their plans is they have the Cash for Safer Streets Fund, being doubled to forty-five uh-huh. million, that's basically investing in improved street lighting and CCTV cameras in quote areas of concern, such as alleyways and parks. And now, Leslie, having read your book right about this concept of areas of concern, you know, it's that the 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 threat always comes from the dark. It never comes from the actual array of forces in the city. No, we never want to look at what are the actual. Uh, structural issues that create danger for women. We never want to look at domestic violence, which is where most violence against women actually happens. We don't want to shine a light on that. We want to worry about dark alleys. And of course, we we use this as an excuse to police communities that are already over-policed and already being racially profiled and uh, targeted for all of these, you know, really problematic interventions. And, and in your book, what I find really sort of uh, astonishing as well is you say actually the pl- the people who are more likely to be attacked in like you know dark alleys in the city or whatever actually that's where men are more likely to be attacked and that's where the male focused city focuses mm. most of its enforcement action <laughs> because it's in fact just projecting projecting that fear yeah in public spaces it's true that men are more likely to experience violence but women express more fear there and and i do think we have to care about the fact that women feel fearful whether we're attacked or not simply feeling fearful is also a kind of form of oppression of course, of course. but as i say we 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 continue to turn a blind eye to domestic violence to uh sexual assault from acquaintances to harassment in the workplace um even though those are mm. the the areas where violence against women is is so much more prevalent like it, it comes back to once again doing the thing about doing everything right. In that, like Sarah Everard was abducted from a main road, uh, a heavily trafficked main road, uh, like the closest thing to broad daylight by a guy who, and I cannot stress this enough, was a police officer. We don't know yet whether or not he used that status to like abduct her, but like if he had been challenged, he could have said quite truthfully fuck off, I'm the police. And, you know, nothing would have happened. So uh, adding more streetlights or adding more CCTV cameras 
it's difficult to me to see uh, what the utility of that is. Time for that curfew for men that talking about lock it down <laughs> yeah lock them down <laughs> oh my uh, god yeah that uh that the the idea that the the idea that spawned a million rod little articles about how actually he's the most persecuted man in britain um it's, it's that's right it's yeah um, he was already a curfew for rod little instituted by his goddamn wife <laughs> that's right am i right um, a lot about god, our yeah. society what a fu- what a fucking evil fred flintstone of a man um so uh, it's like, I, I, this is the Tories, basically. Their response is, um, we're going to do security theater, but actually we're going to make the problem worse. But look, I think you'll find that when we look at the opposition response, which came out in an interview uh, that Keir Starmer did behind a paywalled ar- in a paywalled article in The Telegraph today. Time for some um, real opposition. Yeah. <laughs> uh, why is he writing in The Telegraph? Who is he trying to appeal to? He's going to get Alison Pearson round one of these days. Come on. I think it's very important that we appeal to the voters who will never vote for us under any circumstances. It's like Boris Johnson writing a column That'd in the Morning funny. Star. That'd be very, very like, funny, probably, actually. Like, <laughs> I, love that. I mean, that I would, would be great. Yeah, that would be great. I would what absolutely you respect about? that. I think you know, communism absolutely spiffing stuff. Good laugh, a, a bloody lark, in my opinion. But you, know, let's get real. I mean, also you make a joke about that, but wasn't that basically like what um, has led to the current situation of Spike dot com columnists in number ten now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so maybe this is Keir Starmer's like attempted plan. He's trying to kind of do a reverse living Marxism on the Telegraph. Nine yeah, D chess. His uh, his 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 boyhood magazine, uh, living living Thatcherism. Um, so this was the opposition <laughs> response, um, where Starmer said that Labour had to be repositioned on crime and policing. Now again, Corbyn promised twenty thousand more bobbies on the beat. It was like one of the weakest parts of his manifesto, as far as I'm concerned. Being a bank for Starmer, the of course, because he only. I wanted to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so mm. Starmer only thinks yeah. in cliches and categories. Um, and so he's like, well, we weren't strong enough on the issue in recent years. So he's basically called for um, tougher sentences on people who assault key workers, such as shop staff, and a lower bar for when police officers should investigate antisocial behavior. So his solution is to bring back the ASBO. Not, not giving them any more money, uh, though, which is very funny, because like okay. we've inadvertently done a bit of a social experiment where we've disproved the idea of just defund the police because we've been doing that for the last decade or so in Britain. And it turns yeah, yeah, out yeah. that what this does is it makes them uh, worse somehow still, yeah, again. Yeah, uh, we, we, we have this rabid dog that we have kept on a starvation <laughs> diet. Yeah, exactly. We're not defunding it in order to make it stop doing any of the bad stuff. We're just defunding it to make it stop doing all of this stuff quite as energetically. Yeah, because in Britain, like funding the police has become kind of a centre-left thing because the right are so rabidly into defunding the police because they're de- into defunding absolutely everything that like f- like make do- having more cops has kind of got bound up in the logic of anti-austerity, which I suppose isn't completely illogical, but it just kind of it lacks a broader perspective. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what Stormer's proposal is. He says, I know what it means for a community here or across the country not to feel safe. He said probably because he knew about uh, making them feel very unsafe as the director of public prosecutions jailing teenagers for years. They feel unsafe, and I've done something about that. Um, and by that, I mean simple testimony. If you don't feel you can go out uh, after dark on your own street or your own road, there is something fundamentally wrong. And too many people are in that position. So also uh, next door to a spike columnist. Also that, that position of, oh, your own road. So you shouldn't venture too far afield. And, you know, let's say if you're in... Um, if you live in like a, I don't know a tower block in Brixton, you sure certainly shouldn't feel safe in I don't know Kensington or South Kensington specifically, mm. right? There is this yeah, sense of limit that mobility. You've yeah. got to box everybody in. A we need bit. to make sure people. Yeah, you don't want to get run over by a Lamborghini, in fairness. So <laughs> we need to make sure people st- feel safe in their areas. And I mean that idea of sort of enforcement boundaries. Mm. Uh, that's just town stuff, though. That's just yeah. like regular. Yeah local communities in the local area bullshit i think yeah, but the, yeah. Uh, you, you're not wrong that like the the unintended effects of that are just like stay in your box yeah and so mm. his solution has been to call for 150 million pounds more for the police uh to hire more um community cool. support officers and more importantly this is what i think is so just bird-brained new labor shit to hire more backroom staff to ease the paperwork load for frontline officers 
Backroom staff. Yeah, he wants to. Ah, oh, being a roadie for that's the what, police. That's why they do violence, because they're stressed out by paperwork. It's a very relatable problem. The trouble is, I've got fatigue from doing all this admin, and that's why I beat people up. It's not because I enjoy it. All these gender forms that they have to keep filling out when they arrest people. <laughs> they need secretaries to harass in the back office, right? So. <laughs> that's all right, yeah. Give it, giving the police rubber rubber women to assault and the, to take it out on in the in the office. Yeah. So it's so Starmer's Starmer, Starmer's whole suggestion here again seems to be like what we need to do in order to protect every in order to protect people. Again, he is on and again just like Corbin was completely unable to confront that the problem is the police and the problem is the police not just in that. The problem is every individual officer. Well, it is that too. But also, the problem <laughs> is the fact that there need to be police because if there weren't landlords, there wouldn't be police. Effectively, mm. if you get my meaning, right? Yeah, certainly not in the way that we currently know them. Yeah, precisely. It is. It is there. The there is this. Ex, there's brutal extractive inequality that you need, and that like, you need these. There's basically a an armed gang to brutally defend, and. Yeah, I mean and the, the thing greater is, the, like, and the thing I, is, the greater I, I have, the brutality of that extraction, the greater the brutality required of the armed gang defending it. Mm. Well, the thing is, um, I I have brain problems, and my brain problem is that, like, for my sins, I, I'll confess this now: I'm still not a police abolitionist. But the the action, the sort of the vibe that I have is like Gandhi's quip about Western civilization, right? Where if you describe what the police say they do, like policing by consent, that an impartial uh, human rights respecting organization to protect the public and investigate crime, my attitude to that is, yeah, that's a fantastic idea. When do you want to start? And like, (laughs) (laughs) so I, 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 because genuinely I can't quite square just uh, police abolition in the sense of, what that one commenter was saying of just like they do escape from New York, right? Because I'm as scared of the people who would volunteer to make themselves enforcers of law and order absent any sort of professional sanction of doing that anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because uh, it would be the same people, but just with yeah, no yeah, oversight yeah. at all. It would be it would be them, and <laughs> yeah. it would be like uh, bathroom inspectors trying to like check my fucking chromosomes. Oh, the turf police! I mean, I was gonna just raise something that's just completely crazy. Like, has labor considered that maybe it's austerity that's making things more dangerous for? <laughs> <laughs> people that it couldn't possibly be that, be that. But no, yeah i mean this is why abolition no. i totally agree with your concerns but this is why police abolition has to be come out of a radical transformation of society right that you can't just you know create that vacuum and expect that something uh, magical will fill mm. it but you have to kind of rebuild things from the ground up in a in a completely different way mm. And I think one of the things, right, is that I don't think that this that this country we live in, or indeed the country that uh, you live in and I am from, Leslie, I don't think that that these countries become places where everyone can like live in live lives of of sort of dignity in them, as long as the institutions of the police as they are currently constituted still exist. I don't think there's a future for Britain where there is an institution called the Met Police. Um, that is um, uh, one that is the world. I for. don't think there's a future for Britain. Yeah, that's also true. <laughs> but, but, that, and, but I think it's, <laughs> it's true. The idea of simply, well, once you get rid of the Met Police, that's the problem solved, done and dusted. It's that, like, no, you must get rid of the Met Police. Like, mm-hmm. that is basically non negotiable at this point. But, Leslie, as you point out, mm. it's not done there. That there is much more to do, and that the idea of, um, just volunteer uh, enforcers of social norms through physical force probably isn't the way forward, I would imagine. Yeah. All changed, changed utterly. And I like, I feel like there's a, a sort of diversity of views on the left that encompass everything from after the revolution we'll have cops but good because they'll have like red hats on instead of blue (laughs) all the way way through to after the revolution we will have autonomous self-organizing communes where no one will commit crimes um and i i'm still just in the middle here like 
Man, this fucking sucks. Can someone invent something better than this, please? Yeah, all cops will be Boston Asimo. <laughs> Come on. Elon, What please. are you committing crimes for? What the fuck? Um, I'm supposed to sell Hondas. They keep <laughs> making me fucking arrest people for this kind of fucked up shit. Just stop doing it. Uh, and and so, like, I, I, I don't know... Um, what on what the next step looks like i just know it's certainly not this one no this is literally intolerable i mean you could try housing like you could give money to housing yeah, people cool. hmm. we can't do that it's britain come on <laughs> the government can't spend money on anything that's good what that what that sort of brings up right is that is that that the need for the infor- that the need for violent enforcement of norms Sort of tends to tends to subside the more you remove the um, uh, incentive to contravene those norms. Like if someone isn't sure. worried about if so, number one, most of what the police actually do anyway is hand out tickets and prosecute nonviolent offenses like you yeah. know small possession of recreational drugs. Um, and if you then take that away, and then if people have enough housing and food and so on that they're not sort of not commit to do... like crimes of acquisition yeah yeah right then that takes away another big chunk of what they're supposed to do and if you actually have like a properly um well let's, let's say you have an actual functioning like you know mental and physical healthcare services all of a sudden that takes away another and again not wanting to go sort of into t- discussions about like carceral medicalism not- or whatever but that's like more. Yeah. But like, yeah. no, what, what you're thinking of here is and not so much abolishing the police in one stroke, but like reducing it to a size where you can drown it in the bathtub, uh, which I, I kind of appreciate. Uh, yeah, what if the cops are already small, like little <laughs> I, kittens? I, I, I had a, that would be cool. I had a joke on Twitter a while back that was like, I love to live in the future in 2050 and go to my job at the public safety department where my only uniform is like a t shirt that's like high vis. I can't kill anyone. Nobody has to respect me. And I spend my shift standing next to a guy firing off fireworks in the carpool lane going, hey, man, other people need to use the carpool lane until he runs out of fireworks. Yeah, that's right. And then you're also the next tweet, which was like, have you heard of the International Space Station? (laughs) So, uh, Leslie, I kind of I just want to ask, right, like, what does does that sound sort of like what you're thinking of? And you can elaborate on that a little more. Sure. And this is, you know, I can't take any credit for these ideas. I've learned them as have so many of us from, you know, paying attention to the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, discussions around when you defund the police, what will you refund, right? What will you put money back into? Will you Mm. put it into housing? Will you put it into education, healthcare, mental health services, childcare? I don't know, another wild and crazy idea that we don't seem to be able to countenance. But all of the sort of things that reduce those inequalities, right, reduce the friction in society that, that um, you know, generates more potential for crime or antisocial behavior, uh, as, as you say. And, you know, I think through that, again, mm. from when people have like fundamental safety and security and stability, you know, we're not going to need this like occupying army to, I don't know, tell us not to jaywalk or whatever it is that they do. It's very important that people don't jaywalk. That's my primary concern. When 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 we get rid of the police, is who will stop people from crossing? There's no incentive for people to cross the road when they won't be hit by a car, unless there's a law exactly. that prevents them from doing that. <laughs> Milo, I think you actually think that. To be fair, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> of course, you fucking so, do. One of the few things I like about Britain is that there are no there are no laws about shit like that, like when you can and can't cross the road, because they know that if they did that, British people would just be like, "No, I'm going to get hit by a car deliberately to prove a point." <laughs> yeah, if you got a cross in the road license, <laughs> we'll say yeah, that's right. Um, also, uh, I'm just I'm just noting we sort of we've I think we we've wrapped that up nice uh, so, sort of nicely here. So I just want to say, uh, mm. before we sort of do our endings and thank yous and stuff, um, uh, is there anything, at, L- Leslie, is there anything, any other points you'd like to leave on the table before we head off? Well, I guess I'll just, just say from a feminist perspective, you know, I- any city that says it cares about women's safety can't be one that's willing to throw other people under the bus in order to get it. So to me, I always want to be, you know, really skeptical, as all of you are, about all of these kinds of bogus claims about what will actually make the city safer for people. Mm-hmm. Autonomous and killbots. 
<laughs> we just got to give it yeah, to Boston BAE. Asimo. Yeah, we got to give it to BAE systems. Boston Asimo. Boston with a Asimo. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm not supposed to use a gun. I can barely fucking walk. I keep missing. I still, I, I will cherish until the day I die the memory of that security patrol robot in San Francisco that somebody pushed into a fountain. Uh, yes, uh, that, that, yeah, that, the cocaine fountain. Yeah, that's the that's the future for me. So I just want to say, number one, that is, uh, Leslie, that is praxis. Thank you so mm. much for uh, coming on the podcast today and and talking to us about this. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been been amazing. It doesn't need to flatter us. <laughs> you can get feminist city claiming space in a man made world uh, from Verso. I recommend that you do. I read it in advance of this uh, podcast episode and I found it very worthwhile. So uh, run, do not walk to your nearest Verso Books website and order it. Um, yeah, and across the road illegally. Across the road illegally to order it. Um, <laughs> and uh, also, don't forget to uh, check out the TF stream and all our TF spinoffs, including the TF Patreon. Five bucks a month, second mm. episode a week. Uh, so uh, do that as well. So uh, a lot of calls to action on this yep. one. Um, but in all other news, yeah. I think uh, it's time for us to to uh, head on the down the old dusty trail, and we will see you on the bonus episode. <laughs> Are you saying that yeah. now? Later, everybody. <laughs> Bye. 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 Thank you.